Praise God. What a glorious, glorious worship. I'm glad that you are in the house of God this morning. Are you glad to be in the house of God? I'm glad to be in the house of God. Do you bring your Bibles with you? Can I see your Bibles? Whether it's on the phone or you just got in your hand or uh, just somebody else's Bible, you can lift up their hands and say, lift up your Bible. I'm going to join your Bible today. Amen. Can I just see your Bibles? Praise God. Bring your Bibles with you to the house of God. Bring it to the house of God because, listen, while we preach, God is the only one that can impart. So while I'm reading, you're reading the Spirit of God speaking to both of us at the same time. I want to read your scripture. I think Bellevue needs Jesus. I said, I think Bellevue need Jesus. I think your schools and my schools and, and our neighbors and our friends and our family need Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful scripture in the book of Psalm. Don't go there, but I want to read it to you. Psalm 24, speaking of Jesus coming into a place to bless it, to, uh, to encourage the people, to invite them into everlasting life. The Bible says, who will receive blessing from the Lord? Psalm 24, verse 5, who will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation? Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And Bellevue, lift up your heads, you gates, rise up ancient doors, then the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, rise up your ancient doors, the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. That's our God. Amen. He's the captain of the armies of the Lord. And Bellevue, be ready to receive him. That your neighbors be ready to receive him. You be ready to rise up with him and to experience the glory that comes when he comes in. Father, we pray today, you bless our worship service today. You've blessed us already in the declaration of praise. You've blessed us already in the declaration of koinonia as we stand next to one another. You've blessed us already by bringing us alive and, and allowing us to experience the beautiful son, Jesus Christ, as we have come to worship worship him, to honor him, to bring glory to his holy name. Lord, today we are passionate about knowing you deeper. We are passionate about knowing of what you have done and what you're doing and what you'll do. And I pray that you do it in our hearts. Do it in us, Lord, this morning. And as you're doing it in us, do it through us as we leave this field of learning and go out to the field of the harvest. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' holy name. And if you believe it, say, I'm ready. If you believe it, say, amen. amen. If you believe it, say, I believe it. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. God bless you. I'm so glad that you came. What a beautiful, beautiful worship. We are here to celebrate him. If this is the last service we will ever attend, we want to be faithful. Amen? We want to be true, and we want to be faithful. We're in the book of Acts, so if you go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Acts, chapter 4. The book of Acts, we're in a series on nations and neighbors, trying to reach our neighbors for the glory of God. Our neighbors for the glory of God. And we've come to this place today of a very special topic. It's a topic that confronts the church and has confronted the church through generations. We're going to be talking about persecution. 
We're going to be talking about what the church faces when we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to learn that it is part of literally our faith and our journey with Christ. And it is what strengthens our faith. It is what strengthens our resolve. It is what strengthens our passion. It is what deepens our convictions in the fact that God himself suffered for us. And this is part of our journey, and that is to suffer with Christ, and maybe some will suffer even for Christ. There's a beautiful missionary that we've all heard his story, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott went to minister to the people of Ecuador. And Jim Elliott made a wonderful statement. And that statement is is talking about those. Now, he died for the faith. Jim Elliott died for the faith. And Jim Elliott made a statement that said, He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When he went to the people of Ecuador, he died as a martyr for the faith. The people did not know how to receive him. They murdered him and four others. And he says, no fool what he gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that. Now you think the story ends there. It doesn't. Because his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. Knowing that this is what God has called her family to, the people groups of Ecuador, she decided to carry that mantle. We have a sister in here, Sister Sharon Fairchild, who I, I honor highly, and she has met Elizabeth Elliot. And, and Elizabeth Elliot took on that mantle that her husband has received from the Holy Spirit of God. And she took her family and went back to the people of Ecuador, to the, to the, to the, to the tribal that people have called her husband to. Elizabeth was asked, why would you go back to the place where your husband was murdered? Here's what she said. She said, we have been proved beyond any doubts that God means what he says. We have proved beyond any doubt that God means what he says. If he's going to reach the people of Ecuador, that means he's going to reach the people of Ecuador, even if it means our lives. Later on, she made the following statement. As long as... This is what the Lord requires of me, then all else is irrelevant. As long as this is what the Lord requires of us, then everything else is absolutely irrelevant. It is absolutely irrelevant. When John Christensen, who is a martyr, he's a father of the church, in the year 327, he begins his life and lived during the time when an emperor uh, demanded of him that he stops preaching in the name of Jesus. That if he said, if he said to him, the, the, the emperor of, the, of Rome in those days uh, challenged him and said to him, if you don't stop preaching the gospel, if you don't stop preaching in the name of Jesus, I will banish you. Then he said, I'll take your life away from you. And here's how John Christensen responded. He said, you cannot banish me. The world is my father's house. The emperor said, then I'll slay you. And John said, you cannot slay me, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Then the emperor said, then I will take away your treasures. He said, you cannot take away my treasures. My treasures are all in heaven. He said, then I'll take away your friends. (laughs) He said, you cannot take away my friends. For I have a friend in heaven who will never leave me, nor will he ever forsake me. Amen? And he may come to that place, friends. When we're having to lay down our lives for the glory of God. We watched it, did we? 
Did we not watch it in 2015 when ISIS took 15 Coptic believers, Egyptian believers who were working in the country of Libya, and right in front of the whole world, they, they, they made them bow to declare that the Allah of Islam is their God, and they refused to declare the Allah of Islam is even a true God. And so they laid down their lives as martyrs for the Lord, and their heads, they were beheaded, all of them. Now, one of them had a, a relative who lived here in Nashville, and she told the story about her cousin. Here's what she responded to that. She, they asked her, how, how did it feel to watch your cousin die for the cause of faith, for the cause of Jesus Christ, and to watch him being beheaded for the glory of God? Here's how she said. She said, if he had denied Jesus, I would have killed him myself. When God asks of you, to lay down his life, your life as he's laid down his life, then all other things are irrelevant. All things are irrelevant. Look with me in the book of Acts, chapter 4, and read with me, please. Verses, and I, I will read you, just watch verse 13 and following. The Bible says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were un uneducated and untrained, untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign had been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. You see, the disciples had gone out in the name of Jesus, preaching the gospel, laid hands on a lame man who had been from birth, been afflicted, and God gave life and strength to these bones, and he rose up as an undeniable miracle before all of Jerusalem to see. Now read again with me in verse 23, if you will. The Bible says, after they were released, they went to their own people, reported everything. The chief priest and the elders said to them when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you're the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father, did, did your servant... Uh, by the mouth of our father David, I'm sorry, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah. For in fact, in the city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate were the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak word, the word of God boldly. They begin to speak the word of God boldly. Now, you know, the book of Acts, we've been studying the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the book of new beginnings. It's the, it's, it's the book of many firsts. 
for the first time in Acts chapter 1, the gospel was entrusted into the hands of disciples, men and women who love and follow God to preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. For the first time in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come to be upon and empowering and emboldening the people of God to preach the gospel. For the first time in the book of Acts chapter 2 as well, we see the first evangelical sermon being preached and the church was born and 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ to become followers of the new way of the new way. For the first time in the book of Acts, during the age of the church, we see the disciples filled with power to lay hands on the sick. Signs and wonders and miracles were performed. For the first time, we see things stirring in that city. And Christianity by now has become a challenge. A challenge for Rome and a challenge for all of the Judaistic system that has been put in place to draw attention to man, not to God. And now that Christianity has become a spiritual challenge because the Spirit of God is present now, now that Christianity has become a social challenge because God was setting a new order for new righteousness, a new holiness, a new loyalty to the Father, not to mankind, now that Christianity has become a challenge for the future generations who for now know the way and they will give loyalty only to God and they will follow him, causing a change of history in the lives of these families. Now we have a major challenge on hand, and we experience a new first. Now the church, first for the first time, experiences persecution. We come to chapter 4. They have preached the gospel. They've laid hands on the sick. And the sick were healed. And and there's no law against laying hands on a sick to be healed. But now the Pharisaic Sadducee system has been challenged. And now the church is facing suffering. They lay hands on John and Peter. They put him in jail. And then they threatened them. They said, don't you preach in that name. Don't you declare that name. But they came out and they went back to the brethren as the word of God said. And they reported what God has done. And what happened then as they got excited about what God has done. Now you would think they would have said, let's calm it down just a little. Let's kind of take, take a breather in here and figure out how to deal with the system. No, they said, <laughs> they said, God, take us to another level of boldness. See, take us to another level of boldness. And from chapter 4 and on, the church now is walking in a different level of boldness, even than what they had expressed in Acts chapter 3. And the church now is facing persecution. Now the church is breaking into new territories, and everywhere they go, they're going to face the agnostics, they're going to face the atheists, they're going to face the religionists, they're going to face all these things. And every time they went to break new ground, there was persecution right ahead of them. Do you think God knew? Of course. God knew what they are facing. Now the church continues to walk out the will of God. Remember, they're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the Acts of Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit through the church. That's Acts. It's the Acts of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church. And now the church 
is preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the church is speaking in the name of Jesus. Now the church is preaching in the name of Jesus. Now the church is laying hands on the sick in the name of Jesus. And persecution has come their way. I'm reminded of the story of an Iranian brother. His name is Mahmoud. When he gave his life to Jesus in Iran and was part of the underground church. When people found out that he's a believer and he was hosting a home church in his own house. The authorities came and they arrested him. I'm giving him the name Mahmoud for his security and safety. The authority came and arrested him. And they put him in jail for six months. And they kept beating him. And they kept threatening him. And they said, if you deny the name of Jesus and go back to Islam, then we will release you. And he refused to deny the name of Jesus. Miraculously, through the life of a missionary, he was in contact with this great man of God. He was released from prison supernaturally as you would experience it in the book of Acts. Then he left that nation. He went to another nation. And then he ended up in a western nation. And then he went, listen, after he'd done that and gone back to his freedom, he went back to a neighboring nation of Iran to minister to the Iranian people, though he was threatened to deny the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Because once you find the light, and once you've been experiencing the truth, and once you know true life, it's hard for you to get back into darkness if you've tasted of the real thing. Somebody say amen. If you're saved, say hallelujah. If you're awake, if you're awake say amen. amen. Are y'all all right? Somebody said, are, you all right? are y'all all right? You all right? Let me give you a few things today about what it means to walk our lives for the glory of God. How does the church face persecution? And how does the church really uh, respond and learn about persecution? Number one, you need to know that persecution is always an attack on the Lord Jesus himself. It's always an attack on the Lord Jesus himself. Listen. Jesus Christ said, the servant is not greater than his master. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, if the resurrected Christ lives in you, then those who persecuted him, those who hated him, if you go preach the same gospel, they're going to persecute you and they will end up hating you. But what does that do? It brings greater resolve and it strengthens you to continue to be loyal to almighty God. Remember the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, my home city on the road to Damascus. Paul was on his way to persecute the believers, the followers of the new way. But who showed up to Paul? Because persecution is always an attack on Jesus himself. Who showed up to Paul? The believers? No. Jesus showed up to Paul on the road to Damascus and said to him, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, persecution, first and foremost, is an attack on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, on Jesus himself. Secondly, put that down. Persecution is not only an attack on the Lord Jesus himself, but persecution will strengthen your faith and my faith. It'll strengthen your faith. It'll strengthen my faith. Listen to these great scriptures. I'm going to put them down quickly and read them, and you put them down and stay at home. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse, verses 2 and 3. James, chapter 1, and verses 2 and 3. Listen, consider it a great joy, my brethren and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect. 
so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now the same chapter, verse 12, the Bible says, Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he had stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When persecution come my way, when persecution come your way, we need to understand that he'll do two things. He'll strengthen our faith, watch this now, and he'll prepare us for the eternal reward, as verse 12 said, for the crown of life. It will prepare you and I for what is coming our way. That means persecution can give momentum to our faith to be rooted in Christ deeper. It also points our gaze toward the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you another scripture to encourage you. Peter understood that because Peter experienced persecution. He was crucified upside down. Do you remember that? You remember what history told us? Peter experienced that to a deep level. He wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 14. Put that scripture down. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 through 14. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So what happens when persecution comes? It strengthens my faith. That's a blessing for today. It strengthens my gaze toward heaven. That is a blessing for what is coming. And number three, what does it do? It strengthened my conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch what Peter said. It brings a blessing to us. Now we normally don't think of persecution as a way of blessing. But friend, our loyalty to holiness and righteousness and resolve, it brings a blessing into our our life. And it brings, number four, it brings glory to Almighty God. Listen, brother and sister, as long as the spirit of the Antichrist is in the earth, he's going to come hard and strong and direct against the spirit of Christ that is in you. Against the spirit of Christ that is in you. So persecution, number one, is an attack on the Lord Jesus himself. Persecution is what strengthens my faith and my conviction and my walk with the Almighty God and my vision for today and my vision for tomorrow. Put down number three. Persecution does something else. Number three, persecution provides, this is powerful, this is great. It brings an opportunity, provides an opportunity for me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persecution is a way for you and I to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter and John were put in jail, persecuted because they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because they manifested the gospel of Jesus Christ. They laid hands on the man, lifted him up, and strengthened his bones by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, and he received healing. Persecution is an opportunity to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. By now, the church is popular. By now, thousands have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. How? By the preaching of the word of God. And they were threatened to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, 
Peter and John never argued the man into healing. They, listen, when they preached the gospel, they weren't arguing the gospel. You can never argue anybody into the kingdom of God. How did thousands of people who had been, in, listen, engraved in a, in a Judaistic system, in a religious system, how would thousands of people all of a sudden listen to the message, that eternal message, and turn all of their history to God? Is it because they've heard facts about Jesus? No, friends. It's because, watch this now, they've encountered Jesus. They've encountered Jesus. You see, sometimes we are so belligerent about our faith. We think if we can just go and just argue people into Christianity, they'll come to Christ. Friend, I've met a lot of people who are, who thinks boldness is ugliness. Boldness is belligerence. I'm going to preach it whether you like it or not. And you need to come to heaven. And they think they could argue their way into, into, into other people's hearts. It doesn't happen that way. It's never going to happen that way. Because most of the times what they're myth, what they're missing is the faith that allows the gospel to be rooted in other people's lives. And oftentimes when you are belligerent in sharing the gospel, without the peace and the faith that comes from God, there'll be no eternal reward back in return. You can never argue anyone into the gospel, but you can allow them to encounter what you've encountered. You see, witnessing is not hard. Witnessing is two things coming alive. Number one, a lively message and a lively encounter with God. Witnessing is not that hard. It's you demonstrating a message that is still alive. When Jesus said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? You cannot persecute a dead man. That means Jesus was alive. Why are you persecuting me? You see, there's an encounter. Before they began to preach the gospel, they had already encountered Jesus. He brought in the kingdom message, and then he brought in an encounter with him that caused people to turn to him. And now the church is walking out that encounter so people can encounter Jesus Christ, and they are preaching that lively message before the world. Can I ask you a question? When people encounter you, do they encounter Jesus? Do they say, man, I was in the presence of something special? Can I ask you another question? When people hear you, do they hear Jesus? Do they feel that they're in the presence of an awesome encounter? They've never had an experience like that before. That's the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is not principles. It's not precepts. It's not just a declaration of a promise. We preach the gospel to prove what we have encountered, number one, and to prove the message that has changed our lives. You know what we call that? Beyond principle, beyond promise, beyond precepts, we call that passion. Passion for what has changed our lives. Prosecution and persecution is an opportunity for us to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They brought them right before Annas and right before Caiaphas. And they brought them right before the elite blue blood of that Pharisaic uh, gathering and that Sadduceic gathering. And they said, don't preach in his name anymore. And what did they do? They went out, verse 8, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, watch this now, they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
And they went out and they said in verse 31, God, we have been put on line for you. And so God, take us to another level of boldness. And what they do? They preach the gospel of Jesus. They used that gathering to preach in the name of Jesus and did not just only say to them, you know, you've persecuted Christ. You put him on the cross. They said he's come to fulfill a prophecy. The kings of the earth, didn't David say they're all going to rise against Jesus? This is the very Jesus that the kings have risen against. The Gentile kings and, and, and other kings and emperors and you have risen against him. He came as the fulfillment of the eternal promise of God. He is the living Christ that we preach today. You see, they did not retrieve back. Now, can I just say something to you? This is the difference between the first century church and today's church. Are y'all all right? Because in the first century church, when persecution came, what happened? They pressed in to a higher level of boldness. Today, when somebody get offended by somebody else, or if they feel that the attack of the enemy is real heavy on their lives, what do they do? They withdraw. You see, if you keep withdrawing from the battle and you fill your heart with fear and anxiety and, 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 and I don't want to be a part of this, everywhere you go, you're going to take that with you. But first century church, what did they do? When persecution came, they pressed in and they said, God, give us a higher level of boldness so we go out and preach the gospel. And don't you know, it's because of that today we sit at Bellevue right here and we sit in this glorious church and we sit today as the saved, the redeemed of the Lord, the restored by God himself, simply because there was a group of believers that did not withdraw, they did not retrieve, they did not leave the battle line, they stepped right in and said, God, give us greater boldness and the gospel goes goes forward and it goes to Turkey and it goes to Athens and it goes to Antioch and it goes all the way to Europe. It comes to the United States and it goes to Martin, Tennessee where a Syrian boy had given his life to Jesus and it goes all the way to Big Sandy and it goes all the way to Chattanooga and here and there so you and I can experience the encounter and the message. The encounter and the message. The encounter and the message. Trust me, I know. I lived in Damascus. I've heard about Jesus. I've known a lot of promises. I have read the word of God. I've read about Jesus. But it was not until in a small town, Martin, Tennessee, that a great man of God introduced me to Jesus Christ via two things, a living message and a living encounter. It's an opportunity for us to preach the gospel. And lastly, persecution not only strengthens my faith, Persecution not only allows me to preach the gospel, it's not only an attack on Jesus. And the last thing I want to say, that persecution leads us to a holy boldness. Holy boldness. Boldness is not human belligerence. Boldness is not human courage. Holy boldness, watch this now, it's a high sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in a moment when he calls me to obedience. Can I say it again? Boldness is high sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in me in the moment when he calls me to obedience. That's boldness. When he calls you, that moment of high sensitivity is the time when you and I walk out that call to obedience. Peter and John were called to a moment of holy boldness. Before the Sanhedrin to preach the word of the living God. 
A holy boldness. That's the moment when all of us have to face. Many have faced. And the church will continue to face. Is when someone says. Don't speak his name anymore. Like all these teachers that are getting fired. And all these executives that are trying to declare the name of Jesus. And, and all these godly men and women that live in not just in our schools. But in our neighborhoods and in other places. In a moment of holy boldness. Now we don't need to be belligerent. We don't need to be ugly. And we don't need to be in your face. But we can live out the message. And we can impart the encounter in a sweet holy way. And God had filled our schools and our universities with godly men and women who are They're positioned by God to be the witness of God in these places. And I thank God for these teachers and professors. I thank God for the neighbors. I thank God for the executives who says, you know what? I'm just going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, whatever he placed me. And if you're a teacher in here, I thank God for you. If you're an executive here, I thank God for you. If you're a missionary here, I thank God for you. God has placed you where he placed you to reach the world for Christ. And he's given you two things to impart. A holy message and a living encounter. A holy message and a living encounter. And boldness means you be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In a moment of a called obedience. In a moment when God calls you to obey. That's really wonderful. They reached out to God and they said, God, you're the God who brings it all together. Holy Spirit, you're our witness. You speak through us. You've positioned us. Lord, you do what you need to do to change the world around us. I heard the story of a young man who was having a hard time making a decision. A young man was having a hard time making a decision to follow God. And he came to one of the pastors and the ministers and he said, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. And I hear what you say. I'm just having a hard time really connecting with what Jesus did and what he did for me. And watch this now. Watch this. The pastor said to him, would you do me a favor? He said, yes, sir. He says, I want you to go to a museum. There's a picture of Christ being crucified. He said, I want you to go and look at that picture. You see him on the cross and you will see the blood dripping from the cross. And the young man said, sir, I'll go. So he went there and the pastor contacted the man who was keeping the museum. And watch this now. As he went out, he came in and stared at the picture standing up. He didn't see anything special. He said, man, the artist must have done a terrible job in really telling the story. And the picture is of Christ being crucified and his body, watch this, protruding out of the picture. And the young man stood there and just stared at it and it didn't make sense. So the keeper of the museum said to the young man, you know, you need to look at this picture from a different angle. He said, you need to kind of get down just a little bit and look at it. So the young man got down just a little bit, he's looking up now. And it it just still is not making much sense. He said, you need to go a little bit lower. So he went down a little bit lower. And he said, what do you see? He says, I see a body that is struggling to breathe. He said, go down a little bit lower. And he went down a little bit lower. He said, now what do you see? He said, "I, I see drops of blood that I couldn't see clearly when I was looking straight ahead. He said, get down a little bit more. And he got down a little bit more. He said, now what do you see? He said, it's almost dripping on me. 
And the young man got up and he said, I get it. I get it. I get the price that was paid for my sins. Bow your head with me, everyone. Every head bow and every eye close. I get the blood that was paid for my sins. If you're here this morning and you're having a hard time making a decision for the glory of God. If you're having a hard time really recognizing that persecution is just a way of life in the Christian life. Paul said that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. It's part of what we do, what we experience, what we encounter. So our lives are deepened in God. Our faith is strengthened in God. It's rooted in the, in the power of the gospel. So we can stand up and boldly with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Preach the word of God with gentleness and kindness. Thank God for how he's positioned you. If you've given your life to Jesus and you are a child of the living God, I thank God for you. But others in here, you say, Fadi... I'm like that young man. I'm that close, but I've not yet given him my life. This morning, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And I want to tell you, life is passing. Every moment matters. None of us are secure for tomorrow. Except in Christ. When you're in Christ, then everything else is irrelevant. And this morning, I invite you to make the greatest decision. That you need to make. And that is to give your life to Jesus. You need to quit doubting. And quit the anxiety. And and you're trying to walk by facts. The Bible says by faith in Christ we receive him. The Bible says if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And believe that he died on the cross. For your sins and for mine. And declare him Lord of your life. Ask his forgiveness. He'll come into your life and change your life. And save you. And transform you forever and forever. And you'll be secure for eternity and in eternity. Father, I'm ready to make that decision. I want you to listen very carefully. In a moment, I'm going to issue an invitation. I just need two things from you. I need to be real with yourself. And I need to be real. I need you to be real with God. I need you to say yes. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Now, if you've prayed this prayer before and you're a child of God and you know beyond a doubt that if you were to die today, you'll go to heaven. That's wonderful. I praise God for you. But for those of you that are here that need to give your life to Jesus in a moment, I'm going to say the word amen. So be it. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I encourage you to do it. I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. That has to be your will, your choice. Your words. Fadi, pray for me. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to point you out. I just want to pray for you right now. When I say the word amen, would you lift up your right hand? Don't be embarrassed. Don't lift it halfway. Lift it all the way high. All the way. It's the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. Are you ready? Are you ready? The word amen. Are you ready? Amen. Can I see your right hand? Pray for me, Fadi. Keep your hands up for me. I see you in the back. God bless you. Put your hand down. Somebody else? Somebody else? Right, all of you that raised your hand, I want you to pray a simple, quiet prayer in your heart. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being truthful. I thank God for you. Now, others of you, you said, Fadi, I should have raised my hand. I didn't. I needed to. It's okay. You can pray with me just as well. Are you ready? You ready? Pray quietly in your heart. Come on, pray this in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. 
with a sinful nature. I ask you to come into my heart. Save me. Cleanse me. Now say this. Be my Lord. Be my God. I want to learn to live with you and for you. Teach me to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer and you're sincere about it and you know it was from the heart and that's you. Even if you did not raise your hand the first time, if you prayed with me, you can, you can raise it up the second time. Are you ready? When I say the word amen, all of you that prayed and gave your life to Jesus, I want you to raise up your right hand. Are you ready? Amen. Can I see your hands? I prayed with you, Father, and gave my life to Jesus. I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. Put your hands down. Folks, would you stand up with us? Everyone standing with us. Look up here for just a second. The Spirit of God has visited your sanctuary today and touched the heart of someone in here. Would you give God the praise and the glory for what He has done? Amen.